Welcome to another episode of A Beer with Atlas. I'm Rich. I'm Brian. And to wrap up Mainstream May, we are going to go back to possibly the first. Can we call this one the first craft beer? No. You can't? No. No? You you can if you want. Okay, so we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale, uh, 1979. Who would have thought? I, I know my dad wasn't drinking this back in 1979. No. I don't think anybody outside of California. Yeah, if you lived in California, you could have been drinking this. So, what, what, just completely off topic, what's the yeah. first craft beer then, in your opinion? I don't. I mean, probably Anchor Steam. Okay. Yeah. San okay. Francisco. Yeah, yeah. But that's like you know, turn of the century, nineteen hundred, when they were doing stuff. So okay. Well, that was one of the as you as I did some research here, and, and I've read Ken Grossman's book. Oh, okay. The, the the guy that the one of the founders of Sierra Nevada, and that was one of his influences out there. Was Anchor Steam was mm-hmm. one of his one of his influences. I think they actually bought some equipment from Anchor Steam at one point. Mm, cool. Too. So, so we'll get into this a little bit. Um, I'm gonna just eschew eschew. How do you say that word? You know uh, what I'm saying? I'm just gonna go without this glass go. today. We're just gonna go straight from the bottle. That's I bought a whole six pack. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's what we're gonna do. There we go. Using my uh, my Sierra Nevada. Pale ale bottle opener that, that uh, you brought for us here, too. We are just brand conscious today. I'm yeah. wearing a hat. You are. I dug through my closet to find this thing. We are on brand today with, with Sierra Nevada. So, uh, Sierra Nevada, founded in 1979 by Ken Grossman and Paul Camusi. Camusi? Yeah, sounds right. Sure. He, uh, Grossman eventually bought out uh, his partner years later. Um, they were both home brewers. In Chico, California, uh, the name comes from Grossman's love of hiking in the mountains. I thought that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, they brewed their first ever batch of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale in 1980, and they sold 950 barrels that year. So not very many at all. No. Um, it's their number one bestseller. Has always been their number one bestseller. It's available in all 50 states. Um, if you are at if you are at any respectable Sports bar. I'm going to guess that they have this. You can be at some um, unrespectable ones, too. They'll have it. <laughs> no, I they'll guarantee have it. it. Yeah. Um, also, there's like, I think, eight countries outside the United States that get this beer. Wow. They have it in Germany, and I know they have it in, uh, oh, I just read this, so I should remember. Um, a place that you wouldn't think they'd have it. I'll find it in my notes. Okay. But, right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of all over the world now. So, uh, let's see. November 15th, 1980 was their first batch that they ever brewed. Um, they dumped out the next nine batches after that because it just wasn't mm. to their standards. That's interesting. So, I, I thought that was about 1000 bucks a piece. So, 1980, um, at the cost of $1,000 a piece. So, they blew 9000 bucks in 1980. I can only imagine what that is in today's dollars. Yeah, that's dangerous to do, especially when you're just starting out, um, you know. There's probably something inside that would say, we should probably just sell this anyway. You know what I mean? You would think when so. When you're starting out, you'd be scared to dump that down. So yeah. I guess that's a least, testament to what you think he, his first batch was. At least give it to some just, I don't know, people around there that, to try it out or something. I don't know. That's don't, a lot of beer, though. Don't waste it. A whole batch. Yeah, that's a they lot. They do that. Yeah, everybody's doing that now. If it's not good, it's, it's down the drain. I guess. You start over. So by 1987, they had distribution in seven states. Uh, by 1988, they moved into a new 100-barrel brew house. Uh, 93, their production topped over 100,000 barrels. By 98, 
So just eight, seven, six, five years later, 600,000 barrels. So five years later, 600,000 barrels. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. That is a ton of beer. Yeah. That's, I, I can't even fathom. With my limited knowledge of breweries right now, yeah, 600,000 barrels is, is unimaginable. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's got to be just a mega complex in California. And now they have one in North Carolina as in North well. Carolina. That uh, North Carolina one, let's see where it is. I wrote it down somewhere. There we go. January 2012, they opened a second brewing facility and restaurant in Mills River, North Carolina. There must be something about North Carolina. And New Belgium has one there mm-hmm. now. Oscar Blues, I think, has one there now. Mm-hmm. Just a good place to get your foot in to get that East Coast distribution. There must be something with their laws or something mm-hmm. that's very... Um, I don't know, um, exciting for other places to come in and set up shop. Or like a tax benefits or something. Yeah, there's like got to be something that yeah. is, is drawing them there um, other than like Asheville, mm-hmm. um, that city. That's kind of like they call that the Fort Collins of the East Coast. Oh. So it, there's beer culture there already to be f- for sure. But there's got to be something else besides that bringing these places there. I thought this was interesting. By the year 2000, 57% of the firm's beer was sold in California. So mm-hmm. almost sixty percent was sold strictly in California by two thousand. Yeah, that's you know twenty years into production. Uh, Did you think it would be less or more? I think it, I thought it'd be less. I thought uh, let's see, forty three percent was purchased in the northern half of the state. So out of that fifty seven percent, forty three percent. And that was, was purchased in, by two thousand. You said by two thousand. Okay. Yeah. Um, the next closest was New York State with three point four percent, and then Nevada with two point seven, and Colorado with two point six. So it wasn't even close. No. That's, that, that, I think that's crazy. But well, it just shows how entrenched they were in the state, you know? I guess. I mean, and it started so early. It's one thing if, if you've had a beer and it's only been around for five years, right? Mm-hmm. But 15, 20 years, that's something your dad could have drank. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. You could have grown up. You've already got a generation of people that are used to having this around by then. So True. Um, it's just probably something that is a favorite. So 5.6% alcohol by volume. This is like, I want to try to describe the flavor a little bit. Sure. It's, it's lighter than an IPA, mm-hmm. but it's not the hoppiness that you would think. No. Necessarily. Sometimes the IBUs on this can almost be close to an uh, IPA. Um, Does it list it on there? I don't know if it says IBU. Hmm. Here's how I would describe it to people. Okay. And I saw this um, a while ago, and it makes kind of sense. It's like a a mashup of an IPA and an amber. So you get some of the maltiness of an amber ale. You get some of the hop flavor and smell of an IPA. Mm -hmm. um, But it's not as strong. So it's always going to be around 5 or 6%. That's going to kind of max out. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll get a little biscuity stuff or bready with the the amber stuff, with the malted... um, or the caramelized malts, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you get the hop aroma and the hop flavor. So it's like a, a half step below or a Diet Coke version of an IPA. So it's like a training wheels to get to the IPA. I think it's a really good explanation. So if, if, you yeah. like it, like, if, if you like this, then um, you'll like more of the West Coast style IPAs. It's true. Because this is basically where it came from, so... The maltier, not hazy, mm-hmm. not yeah. juicy, fruity. Yeah, this is a traditional style. I mean, this is this is who basically created the pale ale, mm-hmm. the American pale ale, the APA. And that's the difference between 
just a straight pale ale and an American pale ale. Hmm. Interesting. So the American pale ale, this one, does not. They don't add any sugar. There's no sugar added to this. Okay. Whereas in Britain, English styles, mm-hmm. they add sugar. Oh. It gets. It's a little bit sweeter. Hmm. It's not as hoppy. And that's the that's the main difference between mm-hmm. the American style. And this is winning awards overseas. This is winning like yeah. awards in Germany and Britain and. I read some articles, and one of them was about, two of them were about, basically, one was about, if you're just a beer nerd, mm-hmm. and you're hating on this, then you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And the other one was about, like, founders of other breweries saying how this, if they go to a restaurant, this is what they order, mm. because they know it's going to be good. So it's interesting you were talking about how they dump their batches, right? because that's one of the things with this. Everybody says it's so consistent. It has been consistent for so many years. Mm-hmm. And it's it's complex enough that people that are into beer, there, there's something there for you. Yep. Uh, but it's also so approachable that anybody starting out can try this style and, and enjoy it probably. Hmm. Or at least know, you'll know right away whether you like it or not. It's interesting how my palate has changed over the years because, over at least the past couple of years, at, I tried this probably, oh, three-ish years ago. Mm-hmm. Was not, I did not like it. Yeah. Didn't like it at all. Now, this you could drink this every day. I can yeah, drink this every for day. For sure, yeah. Super easy. It's a fun style. It's one of those things that um, is still being made on a macro level. You know, a lot of big breweries make these. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote down a few. Um, you know, Boulevard, they've got a good pale ale. Mm-hmm. Oscar Blues, Founders, um, Deschutes. Sweetwater, which is in down Atlanta, Georgia area, mm. one of the bigger breweries down there, Upslope in Colorado, yeah, and Three Floyds makes two different pale ales, um, but a lot of mom and pops places aren't making pale ales. Why is that? Um, because I think they're going after people like me, mm. like extreme beer people, okay, who want a milkshake double IPA with you know cranberry juice added into it and yep. aged on wine barrels, like. <laughs> That's what people that are at my level are going, you know what I mean? Like right. this 10 years ago, this excites me, right? Sure. And I've, I've come back around now to where this is exciting again because mm-hmm. you just can't get it. You can't go to, I've never been to cross train and got a pale ale, American a pale ale. Straight pale ale. If they made one, it would probably be more of a European or, or English style because hmm. that seems to be, you know, like kind of Belgian takes on some of their stuff there. So yeah, I have a feeling it would be more like that. I think what's interesting is that you come back around because I have sort of in a very short amount of time come back around to something like this or to the more because you're right at first I was all the way on one side I wanted to try this as weird as possible mm-hmm. when I go to a brewery like what's the strangest thing that you got yeah. or whatever and uh-huh. now give me the I want to I want the basics yeah I want, I've come back to what's your base IPA what's your double IPA I think it, yeah I mean it it, it seems kind of counterintuitive but on the other hand you can't know about the advanced stuff if you don't have your building blocks in place right true you don't know where if you don't know what this is then Mm -hmm. you're not gonna know what five steps down the road should be sure or can be so i don't know it's and it's for me it's just kind of fun it's something that that's always been around Mm -hmm. nebraska's had distribution for a long time so i'm i'm usually not looking for this i'm looking for something brand new whereas this is is so good that you should just get it anyway. It's consistent. Like, you mm-hmm. could have it in your beer fridge, and there's nothing yes. wrong with that. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. So, all right. Well, I want to get into your research a little bit, because I have a feeling mine probably crossed over into yours just uh, just a little. Oh, we'll see. We'll okay. see. All right. 
Otherwise, we may have uh, we may have a whole lot of content mm-hmm. on this one, and we may have to yeah. finish this whole six pack. Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. All right. Well, I will start with just a little bit of something more on the on the pale ale stuff, just the brewing of it. Okay. Um, like I said, they're usually around five percent. Um, this one uses Cascade hops. Okay. And most APAs will have that in the in the brew. Um, it was the first hop that was introduced by the Depa- Department of Agriculture since, like, the Great Depression. Okay. So everything had been Budweiser, right? Like, whatever you make to make a lager or a Pilsner, mm-hmm. th- that was the hops. Okay. This one finally gets approved by Department of Agriculture, mm-hmm. uh, DOA or whatever. And uh, so now there's this new hop on the market that mm. people can use. And it's citrusy. It's bitter. It's on the on the west coast. It comes from um, the mountain range, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, that's what it's named after the Cascade Mountains. Hmm. And uh, because of that, a lot of the early pioneers that were making these beers got this to try with it. It's like a new toy for a brewer, you know. Hmm. Whereas now, there's so many new hop strains all the time. Yeah. They don't even have names anymore. They just have numbers. Numbered, right? And uh, so this was something that was new to them. Uh, when I, I read when this beer was made. There was only like 10 other craft breweries in America open. And one of them was Anchor, mm-hmm. down, you know, down the road in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. um, those guys both used Cascade and both made IPAs and pale ales. Hmm. Um, Anchor made one in 1975 to celebrate Paul Revere's ride, 200-year anniversary of his, of his ride. They made a pale ale. Mm-hmm. Okay. These guys were the first ones that I can find that distributed it. Hmm. pale ale okay and they were able to distribute it themselves california's laws at least back then they Mm -hmm. might still be the same but they were able to go take it out yep and they said uh what i read was they didn't even have six pack holders so they just had coolers with ice and they just walked around and tried to sell them to bars to be like okay here Mm -hmm. see what you think try this and if you like it let us know that was so after i read um jim cook's book the Jim Cook, Sam Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, I read Ken Grossman's book, and same sort of same sort of path to to distribution, I guess. Where he would he had a cooler full of these beers, and he would take them around or whatever. And I thought what was fascinating about the whole thing, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, is he was he was kind of a man's man. He uh-huh. taught himself how to weld. He taught himself he needed to figure out how to fix that refrigeration unit. Yeah. So instead of hiring somebody. He went yeah, and took refrigeration to classes. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy that so he would he would refit these old milk jugs as kegs, so to speak, and with the keg top on there. Mm-hmm. So he would weld his own kegs out of out of these milk jugs and take them with to these to these bars. Mm-hmm. And most of them would kick him out. Like, get the hell yeah. out of here. You're not <laughs> if you're not Olympia or right. you know, or, or, or Paps, then get out of here or whatever. But there mm-hmm. were some that were you know, open to it and would use his weird milk jug kegs early <laughs> milk on. Jug keg. Just sounds weird. <laughs> milk jug keg. I mean, you're talking shoestring budgets probably mm-hmm. and one or two people running the whole place. Yeah. You got to be able to, you know, adapt. I went to a brewery. There was one in Cortland, Nebraska for 20 years. And uh, none of the stuff in the brewery was actually made for brewing. It really? was all salvaged from like making wine, making milk, like dairy stuff. Like hmm. none of it was to make beer. And he made beer with it for 
yeah, some 20, almost 22 wow. years. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Hmm. So people that are usually into this are like a little bit creative and um, inventors and whatnot. They'll mm-hmm. just fix things and make it make it happen. Yeah. I found that other country I was talking about. It's actually 17 countries, uh, and you can get this at the Great Wall of China. You can get Sierra Nevada yeah. Pale Ale at the Great Wall of China. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. I mean, from tiny Chico, California, to yep. the Great Wall of China. So to I thought that was interesting. Milk jug kegs. Um, some of those breweries I was talking about earlier where they credit this beer, um, mm-hmm. the guy's named David Walker, who who was one of the f- co-founders of Firestone Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, he had it in uh, Silicon Valley at a sandwich shop, and he was like, oh, this is what a pale ale can be. He was from England, so oh. he didn't know. Um, that it didn't have to be sweet, and uh, kind of took that from there. And then I'm going to butcher this last name, almost like sometimes you do, but mm-hmm. Vinny Saluzro. Saluzro. Works for me. Founder of Russian River. Oh. He's credited with the creation of the double IPA, so nobody's made one except for him. No kidding. Yeah, uh, which I think is, is that Pliny? It's one of those Pliny mm-hmm. beers. Um, he credits this beer for giving him customers because people were starting to get used to hops oh. in that, in that area of California. So people palates were changing and they were mm-hmm. looking for this stuff. And he thinks because of that, he was able to actually like be open and stay afloat for a while, which would explain Pliny the elder. Then mm-hmm. if you've, have you had Pliny the elder, mm-hmm. I assume. Yeah. So, and I have too, it's probably one of the hop, most hoppy beers I've ever had ever. Yeah. Not quite my palate, but I had to try it because it's legendary. And that's how, I mean, that's how IPAs used to be. So mm-hmm. we, we're seeing the evolution of, of these as they started out really hoppy, mm-hmm. really bitter, and now they've come back down to where there's almost no bitterness. Right. And everything hop is at the dry, at the dry hop level. So after the brew is done. But, yep. Um, there's one pound of Cascade hops in every barrel of this, which is why it tastes that way and smells that way. That's a lot. That's a lot. But it doesn't affect the alcohol, the ABV. So they had to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cost 85 cents a bottle in 1981. So when they were out pitching them and trying to sell them, which was twice to three times the cost of normal beer back yeah. then. So that was, I mean, that's still a craft beer issue is that it's expensive, right. yeah. really expensive, uh, especially some of that stuff that you just can't get down the street. You're going to pay for it. And that's one of the, it's kind of like golf it's like a rich man's game i think so mm. so is this craft beer world yeah, a little bit yeah. became the beer of the grateful dead parking lot party pre-game party so grateful dead they're from san francisco they mm-hmm. got a big following there so in all their shows you know the deadheads would follow them all around sure and this was the local beer that they started to like hmm. has uh some smell uh, similarities with what's known with the with the deadheads, possibly. So that might have helped a little. Well, in previous episodes, we've talked it's about the same. Yeah, right? basically comes from the same genus plant. So mm-hmm. there's some tie in there. Uh, let's see. Oh, um, also with foodies, which San Francisco is known as a like a great food town. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of chefs started getting to this and like pairing it with things because it was so different than what they were used to. Hmm. So it was kind of where beer and food pairing started. Was this was this beer. It was complex to them. Uh, 2012, cans of this were introduced, started rolling out. Okay. Because you couldn't get in a can until then. And Hmm. uh, the reason was because they just wanted to make sure the quality was there, the quality control is a lot easier in a canning line than it is Mm -hmm. on a bottling line. So that's something that they did recently to keep that up. Um, 
one of the things I thought was cool, and I did I did a little bit more research on this brewery than I normally do, but it was because it was something I didn't know, and also I'd never heard of it, but mm-hmm. it was really cool. 2010, they won the Green Business of the Year, so they were solar-powered. Okay. They have a charging stations in their parking lot for, like, plug-in cars, you know? Mm. They convert cooking oil from their restaurant to use as biodiesel in their trucks. Interesting. And uh, let's see. Oh, there was another thing that was cool. Ninety. It was 99.5% of all their waste is reused again. Oh. Uh, spent grain goes to a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, the water that they use, they have their own water treatment place on site. Wow. So they're taking care of all that stuff. Um, let's see. Oh, in 2009, they hired a company that figured out how to use um, yeast that they pitched already and used, okay. and they turned that into gas, like diesel, high-end oh. diesel. Okay. And um, let's see. That's when they got their treatment, their water treatment thing in. Uh, and then they own two miles of railroad track that's right by the brewery. Really? And they ship most all their green by train because it's, it's cleaner than trucks. Huh. So one train car can is equal to four semi truckloads of grain. So all their grain ships in on rail car and train tracks that they they own. Interesting. And then I read this, and this was something. This is the part I didn't know about, and I never heard of this designation. But it's something called LEED, L E E D. Okay. And it means leadership in energy and environment, environmental design. So it's like something you can get. All over, all sorts of businesses can have it. Houses can have this designation. I learned. Hmm. Dolan seems to know about lead. Hmm. Yeah, the biggest building in Omaha to be lead certified is actually Ameritrade. Oh, there you go. Yeah, right, right across the street from us. Over Energy here. saving and and actually, all the Metro Community College campuses are moving that way too. The North Campus is already there. Hmm. So there's four levels. Okay. What you do is you basically you get points, and then these points turn into your classification level. Okay, and you have to do certain things that are on their list to do to eat into like get these points throughout the build. Okay, or you know, like you're retrofitting something or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they have all these standards, and then if you you know hit all these checklists boxes, you get X points for each one of those things, and at the end of the thing when the business is open or the building or your house or whatever then you add them all up and you see your level Hmm. certified is the lowest okay silver gold platinum they are platinum certified in north carolina their new one okay it's the only brewery in the united states that's certified platinum okay so it's basically a hundred percent self-sufficient all their waste goes back into the they have no footprint basically gotcha and that's the only one in the united states um, hmm. to do that. I went to a brewery in North Carolina, a real tiny one, and they were the first one in the United States to use wind power. Oh. But I don't think, obviously, they're not platinum level lead certified, which was something I'd never heard of until today. Our, uh, our, I, I look at our, can- our Atlas Brothers in uh, D.C., Atlas Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they are solar powered. So I wonder where that kind of falls into place. There. Sure that would get you some points. Okay. You know? okay. So it depends on how far you want to go. It's definitely, it's obviously a passion for this guy sure. and this company. Um, they clean a thousand miles a year of hiking trails. They wow. upkeep. like So we have around here like highway patrol cleanup and whatever. Mm-hmm. Businesses can do that. 
they do out there in the mountains a thousand miles every year they they're in charge of and then you get some discounts and stuff if you can show like hey my group does x miles or whatever you can get discounts and stuff like that right on uh 25 bucks will get you the beer geek tour at this place otherwise it's free so if you really want to get nerdy with it you know which i would probably suggest something like this 25 you're not, bucks you're not gonna probably see something like that again sure so I, would, I would do it if i was there i'd go i'd do that yeah um let's see what was something else that was interesting about the beer and then we'll get into uh some chico stuff hmm. uh i looked on their website because i bought that bottle opener mm-hmm. and uh, i wanted to see what else branded pale ale things i had mm-hmm. um so i picked out a few of the i don't know strangest ones or awesome most unique um they have a stainless steel spork that has pale ales here yes. for camping, because sure. it's a big camping area, yeah. so you've got your spoon and your fork and a bottle opener all in one. On the other side, okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. They have what they call crocheted pocket discs, which is basically a felt Frisbee that folds out, and then you can play Frisbee wherever, and it packs up so nice. California. It's not plastic. Sure. Mm-hmm. They make mustard. Mustard. Uh-huh. Which you hate. I, yeah, I despise it, mm-hmm. but they have two different kinds. They have a glass bottle and a squeeze bottle, and they have mm. different beer-flavored mustards. Would you eat a beer-flavored mustard? No. No. Are you sure? I would eat a beer, but not a mustard. <laughs> no. No <laughs> mustard. No mustard touches these lips. For whatever reason, Dolan thinks that's super funny. Uh, well, it's, I, don't I hate it. I'm going to get you some beer-flavored mustard. We're going to try must it. Just keep it. I'm not, I'm not touching that stuff. <laughs> Um, they also have barbecue sauce. That mm. I would get into. Mm. They had different flavors of barbecue sauce. Okay. Um, lip balm. Uh, which I've had. I've had that too. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a hammock. Oh. It was 100 bucks, like a camping hammock that had their logo on it. Sure. And then um, there's a book like about the brewery. Okay. Like the history of the brewery, mm-hmm. which was cool. I thought it would be interesting to see that. So, I think if you have any interest whatsoever in brewing or beer, or maybe just even before I knew about this kind of culture and I got really deep into it, there's, I would highly suggest Ken Grossman's book. Like okay. I, It really, really goes into not only the history of maybe him and the brewery and, and brewing and the kind of the, the trials and tribulations of opening a, a business, mm-hmm. much less a brewery. I mean, it just it goes beyond that and, you know, problems that he had with his business partner and employees and, yeah. like, it was absolutely acceptable in California in 1980 for his employees to take a smoke break. They weren't smoking cigarettes, though. Yeah. And then the afternoon was shot. Right, productivity ooh, declined. Right, and so I mean that led to there was at one point. I it think was, that happened at Stone too, by the way. Did it? Which is why they have the Waldo's special. Ah, that's a tie into that. But yeah, that's a that's a different story for a different day. That it, that was that was fascinating. I it got to the point with him though that I remember this in particular because it's close to what I do kind of every day here at Atlas outside of outside of this and the other fun stuff that we do um, on the business side. By like 2000, it was like 98, 99, they were operating on 2% margins, which is yeah horrible. Yeah. We, I don't even understand how you can keep a business open on a 2% margin. And it's it just, it, it, from there it got better. Yeah. But, um, and there were a number of reasons for that or whatever. And as you, as you read his book, you kind of understood. Um, hmm. But yeah, it was, it was fascinating. So are they like the West Coast Sam Adams? Is Pretty that, much. Is that how you would describe yeah. it? Yeah, and I think there's a weird, 
I don't know how they feel about each other now. Back in the day, kind of back maybe in the 2000s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. um, they were being compared. Grossman and, and, and Cook were being compared to each other, right? Rightly so. I, yeah. I think it's it's a fair, it's a fair comparison. Um, the two of them did not like each other very much. Mm. And I think to this day, they still maybe don't see eye to eye. Interesting. But maybe, maybe that's a more West Coast, East Coast thing. Could be. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Tupac Biggie? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, it's, yeah. I'm sure it's probably where it stemmed from. Maybe. Trying to drop just, some when the Brooklyn music. Dodgers moved to LA, maybe it's even right. farther back. Who knows? There you go. Who knows? You see me trying to drop some music knowledge on the, the two of you. I got a little coming, don't worry. Just a little, okay, okay. I got a little interesting, but at two percent, like that's crazy. That is that's it's almost non existent. Yeah, it's almost like you just you're operating in the red for so long. How you, you can't survive like that from a business standpoint. I wonder how they did. Interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a lot of just they they ingenuity on their end they, they weren't they weren't necessarily spending money yeah on the thing on the dumb shit that companies spend money yeah. on sometimes right so so smart enough to pull back on some of that and yeah. correct or never do it in the first place like that was i guess yeah that, that was never his too. his style hmm. be interesting to show like i don't know if it'd be a web series or whatever but just like short documentaries about the founders of like some of these breweries because like founders has their mm-hmm. you know we watched i know you and i have both watched those right wouldn't that be cool just just to get a little business mm-hmm. uh you know of the mindset of those people that have done these especially some of these ones that are around 30 years that started out so small right and now are the biggest ones in the country i think it would be interesting to pick their brains i would love that uh speaking of brains holy cow look at this segue guys good job Chico, California. Mm. Uh-huh. I thought, you know what? I've never heard of Chico. Never, not, not, not once, except for this. I don't know anything about it. Yep. So I wanted to look and see where, where is it? What is it about? Who comes from there? Okay. So what I did find was a lot of poets, sculptors, artists, authors come from Chico. Okay. So there's not, not anybody real famous that you and I would know, mm-hmm. uh, but there seems to be a thriving community for that. And then the other thing that seemed to be uh, what everybody else was, if you weren't one of those things, then you were a Republican candidate or senator or mm-hmm. you were a speechwriter or something like that. So it seemed to be conservative politically, uh, but also open to the arts in, in a way. It's a weird. It's kind of an interesting mix of folks. Yeah. So um, I went through and I just got a couple of names that we'll talk about. Um, Chico is nicknamed this is the City of Trees. So okay. they have a ton of trees in this area. Okay. Uh, they have something called the Silver Dollar Speedway, okay. which I think would be fun to check out. It's like uh, a dirt track for BMX, mountain bike racing, oh. monster trucks. Mm. So it's like something that's always there, and you can go check out these things all the time. Interesting. Um, the average temperature low, 55 to 65. Mm. And in the summer, it's 85 to 95. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, not too shabby. And they have probably what Dolan's going to be most excited about, the world's largest yo-yo. Oh, no. Look at why, why do you have this? What is this from? Is this where he's from? Aaron Rodgers was born in Chico, California. Mm. You really? know what's weird? That's where he's from. He didn't make the list at all. He wasn't on there not one bit. Why, did, why does that look like you carried around in your wallet? Oh, he does. He does have that in his wallet. That's weird. That is weird. I actually found it last weekend, uh-huh. and I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. So I stuck it in my wallet, forgot it was there until now hmm. when you mentioned Chico, California. I think he's got his photograph 
photoshopped in the back with Aaron Rodgers on it. That's true. Do you have a picture of your uh, fiance in your wallet? No. Nope. Nope, but he's got a picture of Aaron Rodgers. Oh, they have priorities. Yeah, yeah. And look at what this is. Green and yellow, Dolan. Mm. Look at the colors. This should be your favorite beer right here. Hmm. If they made it in Green Bay, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's some of the names. So some of these you're going to know. Some of them you won't, but they're at least interesting enough that we're going to talk about them. That aren't Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Okay. So here's the first music tie-in. This this uh, this gal's name is Ashley Everett, hmm. and I had never heard of her. Okay. But I know I've seen her. And you know why I've seen her? Hmm. She is the dance squad captain for Beyonce. So oh. all of Beyonce's dancers are learning the moves from this girl. Wow. So she's from Chico. So she's one hell of a dancer. Yes. Okay. Because every, that's one of the things you know about her, about Beyonce. She's yes. always dancing, and yeah, they've got the dancers. So yes. she's in charge of those. Interesting. Um, there's a musician named Matt Carney that's from this town. Okay. I added up his top 10 songs on Spotify, and he's got 136 million plays, so not too shabby. Yeah. It's like 136 million more than I have. I'm sad that I don't know that name. Uh, he's kind of a, he was in a kind of an acoustic-y singer-songwriter in the early 2000s, and he's kind of... Uh, changed his sound and gone a little bit more electric, electronic recently. Mm-hmm. And that's where most of his um, success has been. But okay. he, he's been here. He was probably in Omaha about two months ago or so hmm. for a show. Um, then there is, oh, these are fun. Uh, the, the most famous one, I'll just get out of the way. His name is Jackson Pollock. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's mm-hmm. Jackson Pollock, yeah. abstract painter. Mm-hmm. Um Overall, just crazy guy, it sounds like. There's a movie about him. With some crazy paintings. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, he had the, if you don't know who it is, he has, he's basically like the paint splatter guy, mm-hmm. where it looks like he just got paint on his brush and dripped it on there and called it good. And, and like, I feel like anybody can do that. And people just peed their pants over yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then like his, his actual paintings that when they sell are in millions and millions of dollar range. Yes. And it looks like something my son would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently, there's something, there's some method to the madness that, uh, you know, I don't know. My brain doesn't work that way. I don't understand it. Art but. people would ex- try to explain it to you. Yeah. I don't. I mean, uh, I'd, I'd be willing to learn, but I, yeah. from what I see, it's, it don't look like anything to me. Yeah. Um, let's see here. This one's for you, because I'm going to guess Dolan doesn't know this. You're not going to know the name, but okay. you're going to know the guy. Okay. His name is Donovan Scott. Don't know the name. His, his most famous character, at least for me growing up in the 80s, okay. was a guy named Leslie Barbara. Officer Leslie Barbara from oh. the Police Academy movie. Yeah. He was the kind of the chunkier guy. Yep. Um, he was in that movie, and then he was in... What, oh, I wrote down. Um, God, there was another movie that was kind of famous. Oh, he did like some sequels. Okay. Like 80 sequels, so it would be like Teen Wolf 2 or you know something <laughs> like that. So he didn't hit first. Is he, like he, the, he was like the dad or whatever in Teen Wolf like 2 that. like that. There's okay. another one, uh, Back to the Future 3 he's in. <laughs> He's like a sheriff or something, uh, so he must have been with what? Uh, Robert Zemeckis. And... He must have been with Biff's gang. Oh, something gotcha. like that. I understand. Okay. And then now he seems to be typecast on purpose uh, as Santa. Oh. So he's gotten older in any sort of Lifetime movie. It looks like <laughs> he is the Santa Claus. Any of those Christmas <laughs> Lifetime movies? Sure. This guy has it on lock. He's the Santa. Donovan Scott is Santa. Yeah. So. Yeah, if you see a Santa on Lifetime, it's probably this guy. That's that it's dude. probably the dude from Police Academy. From Police Academy, all right. Yeah. Um, and then the last uh, the last name I have for you is another one you won't know, um, but you'll know the person. Her name is Diana Soli, S-O-W-L-E. Mm-hmm. 
She was in exactly three movies in her career. Okay. But man, was she a part of my childhood. And she's a part of my, my son's childhood right now, too. Mm. Her character in 1971 was named Mrs. Bucket. No. Ring any bells? No. Dolan? No. No. It would be Charlie Bucket's mom oh. from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Really? She's the one that sings Cheer Up Charlie. And she's working at the laundry. Hmm? Not the laundromat, but the laundry tubs. You know, she's mm-hmm. washing them hands, hands sure, down. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's in 1971. Okay. The next movie credit I find for her, 1994. Whoa. Clear and Present Danger. What? Clint Eastwood? Uh, Is that who's in that? Harrison, Harrison Ford? Ford. Did Harrison he, Ford. Clint, did he direct that? Clint Eastwood, oh, did Clint Eastwood direct it? I think so. I know Harrison if, Ford was in Harrison it. Harrison Ford was in it for sure. Uh, but she's in that movie. Hmm. And she's in one other movie as a hairdresser that year. And then that's it. She's done with movies. And then, this makes no sense to me, in 2008, she shows up as nine different voices in Fallout 3 video game. What? Yeah. What? Uh, so 20 years different, 23 years between movies, 14 years later, voice acting for one video game, nine different voices. What? And that's it. That's her whole record. Her husband was in the CIA. Okay. So they moved to Germany, yeah. which I think is where a lot of Willy Wonka was shot. So it might have been how she got the part. Okay. And uh, then she lived over there for a while, and then they had a house like uh, in D.C. when they would come to visit you know for work for when they'd be in town sure but i couldn't find out where she was or why she didn't do anything maybe she was raising a family or something for 20 something years but uh, she also was a big uh proponent of tutoring kids so she had like a like a after school like teach kids program that was free so if you're like kind of a poor kid that needs help she was like ran this tutoring business on the side and like people could come and they would for free they could like get help with homework and whatnot that in DC. So, that's weird. Yeah, and then and then she passed away. But the last thing that she did was Fallout Three. <laughs> I wonder how she got that. I want I want to know more about her. Right. Where did she go? Why? What was she doing? Why? How did you get this? Right. Was she just like the cheapest voice on the market for them at the know. time? Like but okay. Why? I mean, you don't usually when you're a voice actor, you do a lot of it all the time. Yeah. So one right. game, nine voices. I counted. Nine different, they're like, hey, we need an uh, old lady voice. Could we... Uh... Looked like there was three or four different old lady voices and some girl voices, some younger people. Yeah, it was all female voices. What? I've never played the game, so I don't know, no. but... Dolan, you ever play Fallout 3? No? No? Yeah. So huh. that's that's what I got about Chico. That is weird. Yeah. So my question is... Is, is it about Aaron Rodgers? No, okay. no. No, but uh, Aaron Rodgers um, oh, led me to this thought oh, because a while back he was doing a fundraiser, sending money back home because of the fires that was going on in Chico, oh, California. Correct. Yes. Do you guys know if the brewery at all was affected or how they were they the ones distribution? that that was the one that we did the podcast for oh, early? Cross-train. Yeah, with oh, that's right. So they're the ones that started the resilience. Mm-hmm. The, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm, cool. Which is interesting because there's there's a reverence for for Ken Grossman in the craft beer industry. Yeah. Um, that and, and Scott actually when we were out there recording, Scott mentioned it like you know Grossman and he said it. He's like Grossman put out the word and everybody came to help. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like that. It's like one of the godfathers of the craft beer world. Apparently, right. sounds like that dude talks and people listen. Hmm. Kind of thing. So. 
So what's uh real quick? What's your story with this? Where, where was? Do you remember the first time you had one? So I, it was it was after I read his book. I thought okay, and and I didn't start with pale ale. I started with their with their Goza with the Ultra Ultravez. Oh okay, which so it's I, recently, just very yeah, recently, okay. yeah. And they have since they've changed the which to my chagrin, um, they've changed the the recipe on that. It's still good. It's still very good. Mm-hmm. It went from a kind of it's way more limey now than yeah. it was before it's in it before it was it was a it was like a good standard goza it was it was very it, not very salty it was salty mm-hmm. like you taste the coriander it was very refreshing on a hot day mm-hmm. where now it's maybe more tequila lime based kind mm-hmm. of that okay. that kind of flavor yeah. and that led me into others um torpedo i've had that one before yeah. which i know is is a popular one of theirs yeah um Bigfoot, I've had, which is their barley wine. Mm-hmm. Um, not a huge fan of it, but yeah. All right. I think the one thing that comes back to me with these is consistency. Mm-hmm. Every time I have that that Otrevez, every time I have that, it's the same thing. Yeah. It, there is a consistent flavor every single time. Um, I, I could see that in this. I think I could see that in in Torpedo. Um, there was another one called Sidecar. Was it Sidecar that was the orange? ish one hmm. i can't remember maybe, maybe that wasn't the orange one anyway same sort of thing same they have consistent a, flavor a really good wheat it's called a keller vice hmm. they have a stout that's pretty good every year at christmas they do a celebration ipa which is a different hop combination mm-hmm. every year so that's one i always have to get a six pack of um i saw this on the internet and it rang true to me uh they're like one of those bands that got big and didn't suck Mm. Is how they described them. So not like, Metallica. So it was like, oh, I, you know, I remember them when I was at tiny club and saw them, and now they're huge and they suck now. Mm. You know, one of those deals, which everybody has a band like that, I suppose. Sure. But mm-hmm. they said this is one of those breweries that did that that didn't suck. Like they're still so consistent and so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, people, at least I know for sure, I do take them for granted. Well, I think part of it too is and the price goes, point is crazy good. It's it's like nine ninety nine for the most expensive six pack. This was eight ninety nine for a yeah. six pack. So eight ninety nine for a six pack of craft beer is that you know is going to be good. Absolutely, that's the thing because yep. when you and I are doing this, mm-hmm. we don't know most of the time what we're getting. No, especially if it's something new, you don't know if it's going to be good. And I don't want to buy six of them. Yeah. So now generally. this is one of those things where you know it's going to be good. It's well worth the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I need to get back to these guys. It's you need to read his book. I think that's if you haven't yet, you need to you need to read his book. Um, it, it, just from a business standpoint, I learned a lot, I, and I say this a lot, and it, it sounds it it sounds weird or maybe amateurish, but I don't. I think the more I say it, and the more I talk about it, it, it doesn't. Like I don't have a college degree, so everything I've learned in business, I've either learned on the job. Or I've learned from stuff I've read or watched. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my classroom work, so to speak, and I use the air quotes for classroom work, right. is stuff that I've read. So Jim Cook's book and and Ken Grossman's book and um, stuff that I've watched on TV, Shark Tank and The Prophet, and, you know, shows like that. Well, um, Bar Rescue, I watch that a lot. Just, mm-hmm. just learning basics that I wouldn't have that I would have learned probably in a classroom setting, right? But I didn't have to pay for it necessarily. Yeah. Like, where am I going to get that right now? I'm gonna go get it on YouTube, or I'm gonna get it from a book. Or do you feel is it true business is business? So brewing beer translates to what we're doing and that sort of thing. Like Absolutely, just running it in the right way. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to the to the scale of Sierra Nevada. Like, how could they scale on a shoestring budget and still be eight ninety nine a six pack in two thousand and nineteen, mm-hmm. and and have distribution in all fifty states? Yeah, quality. 
I think it comes back to they've never, ever compromised on who they are or what they do. Ken Grossman has never compromised on his vision whatsoever. It goes back to dumping the first nine barrels, yeah. right? It never, he's never compromised on that at all. And he's still involved in the day-to-day operations, even though it's, you know, I saw he was worth like like $600 million or something crazy now. Dang. Like, yeah. From a dude that was just, you know, he was he was working two jobs and yeah. going to night school to learn refrigeration because he didn't want to pay some guy to come and fix their, you yeah. know, their refrigeration unit for their kegs. That's cool. Wow. They were one of the very first people to bottle condition beers. Mm. And so that means that you had to ship them cold. Talk about that because that's interesting that you know. Well, I mean, the, the easiest way to just say it basically is that it's still a live beer. Mm-hmm. When, they, when they're done with it, it's not done. So they cap it up. Sometimes you'll see them, especially in like sours and stuff, they'll add a little extra sugar right at the end, cap it up. So that still has yeast is going to continue to eat that for mm-hmm. a while. So the beer is going to be different when you open it than versus when they closed it, if that makes sense. Yes. So they were one of the first ones to kind of do that, especially with this sort of beer, which in turn means you have to always keep it cold because it has a chance, if it gets warm, that yeast will activate and basically blow up. Hmm. Um, Aaron Daly brought me, he showed me a crowler yesterday and it said on the sticker on it, it said, keep refrigerated, live beer inside, can explode. I'd never seen that before, (laughs) but apparently somebody hadn't, you know, left it in their car or whatever and it blew up and that's a mess. Yeah. So they were one of the first ones that basically made their beers had to be refrigerated, had to be shipped refrigerated. And uh, that's really changed the game of, of beer. Was that is that a difference between bottling and canning then too? Is that or can you do it in cans? Um, you can. I mean, that's basically what a you know a crowler is just a big can. Okay. So you can do it. Um, you see it more in bottles than you do at least commercially. Mm-hmm. Uh, small mom and pop people are always doing that. I mean, most of the things that we're seeing is is that way um, with crowlers and whatnot. But yeah, they were the first one to do it like on a major scale. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you'd you'd asked about you know is, is business business because one of the things I wrote down that I, that I not only took from his book but then has been repeated a few times in in articles that I read. Um, he said industry experts predicted there would be two craft breweries left by the year two thousand, and I assume he means him, him and, and Sam Adams. And Sam Adams. Yeah. Uh, beer had become a commodity like milk. You don't go shopping for a brand of milk; you just buy the product. Mm. And so that was that was kind of his motivation yeah. was to that consistency was, you know, if if that's the case, he was going to be one of those two. What's funny is it, that didn't turn out to be the case. No, because now there's like thirty kinds of milk. Yep, and there's a million kinds of beer, mm-hmm. and you do shop for those things, you know. And, and there's people still, are brand loyal to milk. It's crazy, but yeah. it's true. But there's still a very large chunk of the cooler section that is dedicated to Sierra Nevada, mm-hmm. wherever you go. Yeah, wherever you go, you can get it. And mm-hmm. probably a lot of different kinds, which mm-hmm. is one of the fun things about them. In your research, did you find out, like, how many beers do they have on tap at the brewery itself? I didn't look at the brewery at all. I've never been there. I'd like to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I think just off the top of my head, I, I was looking at my untapped. I've had um, 17 or 18 different Sierra Nevada wow. beers. Uh, I mean, they have like four or five different kinds of IPA. They have barrel-aged stouts, regular stouts. Um, I've never seen them do like a sour. Otrevez is probably closest. It's probably the closest they get. Um, yeah. Stouts, IPAs, uh, wheat beer, porters. 
I mean, anything that's a beer, like a where we would say like a you know uh, entry level or just the base of this kind of beer, they have one, and it's pretty solid. So um, they've covered all the bases. They they do enough different stuff where beer nerds can be excited. I mean, it's a the Bigfoot one you talked about, the barley wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the Casual Pint maybe two months ago, and they had an event there, mm-hmm. and they had like the last five or six years worth of Bigfoots on tap. Hmm. You could try the difference of them. They had a keg that was like seven years old. Whoa. It was like one of like four in the United States. Oh. Um, the IPA that comes out at Christmas is an annual thing. Uh, they have enough things that are always happening that keeps people interested. They want to try this year's version. Mm-hmm. Um, so people like me, I'm still buying their beer to, to do those things, but I definitely have forgotten you know, just how good the standard stuff can be too. Just the classic consistency of, of yeah. pale ale. Yeah. Was it you or Daly that brought me the the Bigfoot from this year? Um, that might have been him. See, because either one of you, I wouldn't be surprised that. I mean, it, well, I don't think surprise is the right word. Um, that there's a, there's a longevity to Sierra Nevada, but then there are beer nerds like yourself and Daly mm-hmm. who are just way more over the top than I am. Yeah. But then you still come back to something like Bigfoot. I mean, I can tell you. They have a beer called Narwhal, which is their barrel aged stout, mm-hmm. and it's one of it's one of my favorites. I get it every year. Hmm. I get Bigfoot every year. I get the Celebration IPA every year. Hmm. So it's it's those ones that are further off the 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 normal menu. Yep, is what pulls me in. Um, but then if you go to the restaurant or you go anywhere, really, you're going to be able to find this gas station. Yeah, I mean that's there. So. Mm-hmm. There's there's no shame in this game for no, sure for me not one bit so so finally we'll go to we'll go to the untapped you have checked in on this one other just one time which is surprising well usually I had been for a long time just if I checked it in once that was good enough that's how my mentality had been well no but I then t- if it's changed then I, but I'm gonna guess I've probably checked in probably four or five times you, is my guess I take that back you've checked in one two three four five six 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 times. Five times, I'm sorry, five times. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to check into it again today mm-hmm. um, because I was probably at different places doing different things. But The first time was eight years ago. Dang. Uh, 4.25. Yeah, was, and then, was I in Vegas? Uh, it doesn't say. Because the first time I really remember drinking this was in Vegas. Let's, let's go back and look. It, it, it doesn't say. It doesn't mm-hmm. have okay. you tagged. Um, you did earn the Mary Brumus badge for... Yeah. Yeah, December 24th. Oh, you drank this on Christmas Eve. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Must have been at a party or something. Could be. Uh, I was waiting for Santa. Just a few months later in uh, 2012, you ranked it at 4.25. Then uh, just just two months later, you ranked it again at 4.25. Then in August of 2012, 4.25. Yeah. We drank a lot of this in 2012. Well, I mean, that was seven years ago. There wasn't a lot. There wasn't like it was now, choice-wise. Four years later, then, you you dropped down to a four. Yeah, that's me changing my mm. palate. Mm. But then two years later, January 26, 2018, yeah. so just over a year ago, uh, you ranked it a 4.5. Ooh. So. Yeah, my ratings are all over the board, but usually it has something to do with what I'm doing or where I'm at or who I'm with. Hmm. Um, so, Interesting. But yeah, oh. for sure. And this one, this is funny. You were at the casino when you took this. Uh, oh, that was in, see, Vegas. You were in Vegas. Look at that. That's interesting. Yeah, I love Untapped at the MGM Grand Hollywood Theater box office. Yep, what a fun memory. That's cool. You know what? I was. I can tell you exactly where I was drinking that beer. Hmm. That was last year. Yeah, in January. Yeah, January last. So year. I was there, and that was the day that I had got up about four o'clock in the morning, 
and me and my friend Mark, who were who I was with, we were celebrating his birthday, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a conference in town. Okay. Uh, uh, like a convention. Yeah. Um, Dolan will know this by the initials. It was AVN, um, the Adult Video Network or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was their annual mm. um, convention. Was also in town. Oh, I thought you were there for the convention. Uh, you know, it was a happy uh, circumstance that we were there at the same time. Uh, but that was early in the morning. That beer was early in the morning. If you look at the time frame, I bet it was pretty early. It was early, yeah. Um, so we were sitting there at the bar at MGM. We're talking to the bartender. And he's like, hey, you guys, you know, if you're out and about later tonight, you, you definitely want to go to the Hard Rock because that's where it's popping. You know, you got to get down there. All these girls are there. Everybody's there. It's a show. It's like the, it's basically like the Oscars of the porn awards. Yes. And it's a. Uh, Everybody wants to be seen. All of Vegas was there. All the people that live in Vegas got dressed up to go to this. It's a huge party. Okay. So we're at MGM. I'm drinking a pale ale. They mm-hmm. had it on tap there, and they had it in bottles, and I got the bottle. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the day I decided tickets went on sale for Billy Joel okay. at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. And I'd never seen him in a stadium like that. He'd only played Shea Stadium. That was where he was famous for playing, the baseball stadium. Right, right. And this was the first concert at Kauffman Stadium in 40 years. Wow. So bolstered by a few Mm. pale ales, Mm -hmm. I pulled the trigger on $300 seat tickets (laughs) at Vegas at like 9 in the morning. All right. So bad decision, great time, and that's why I got a (laughs) 4.5. And I can remember remember most of those things. How'd your wife feel about that purchase? You know, she wasn't. She wasn't totally happy about it, but it wasn't the first nor the last time <laughs> we had that we had that discussion this weekend. Actually, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's, there's my there's my Sierra Nevada Pale Ale story. That was my first check in on this one. So four point two five, I think, is a very fair. Mm-hmm. It's that's that there's a solid consistency to this. That uh, yeah, it's it's just easy drinking and good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you are out and you're not an IPA fan, yeah, this could be that kind of kind of halfway in between safe beer for you. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely worth a try. Most, like Brian has said before, most places will give you a little taster. You can try it or whatever. Most bartenders are more than happy to, yeah. to, to help you with that. So, Or if you're out at a brewery and they have just a standard pale ale, mm-hmm. give it a shot. I, it'll be, it, it's, it's, yeah, pale ale and, or American pale ale, see the differences if you can. Yeah, you won't, you won't be disappointed. So that wraps up Mainstream May. I had a lot of fun. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, it was like a memory lane situation. It was. A lot of those beers were things I used to do and used to do and or my dad used to do. and mm-hmm. So we, we had a good time, I think. I went back and listened to the uh, dad beers, uh, it, which I listened to all of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Just that's the only way I think I get better is if I listen. Yeah. And, uh, man, that, that made me – there's some parts that made me sad yeah. about that. that I, was, I um, feel the same way, but I also think that got our most comments. Mm-hmm. At least on Facebook, we it had did. like 45 people talking about what beers their dad drank. and I love that. I love it. It was so much fun. And I carried over something. I bring that up only because I carried it over. And normally I say, at the end of the episode, I say, okay, we'll see you next week. Yeah. I want to change that a little bit because there's something that your dad said. Oh. After he, uh, after he came back from, uh, he was, uh, it was your story about when his, his truck got flooded. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And he said, well, I'm not going anywhere for a while. Yeah. Let's have a beer. Let's have another one. Yeah. I want. I want to end our shows now with, I'm not going anywhere for a while. Let's have another beer. Oh, yeah. I'm going to probably cry a little bit, just, Rich, just, but you in, know what? In let's do it. pops there. So, mm. All right, Brian? Yeah. We're not going anywhere for a while, so. <laughs> let's have another one. Let's have another one.